Well, tonight we look at the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. That's kind of our driving theme. And so in the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing that we ask of the Lord is that his name be hallowed. Right? Hallowed be thy name. And so it's interesting here that John 17 in this, the context here, of course, is this is part of Jesus' final prayer, the night in which he's betrayed. And so we get the text of this very wonderful and intimate and personal prayer that Christ is making to the Father. You know, and, and how he ends that prayer is, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. Right? I have made your name known. Right? Christ makes God's name known in the world. Right? That is, he shows the world just who God is. He shows the world God's identity, God's character. Right? Our names come to represent who we are. Right? If someone besmirches your name, you know, they're speaking badly about your reputation, about your character. And so our names become synonymous with our character, with who we are, with our personality and our identity. Well, in the same way, Christ is using God's name here, right? That he's revealing to the world just who God is, what God's character is, who God is for the world. So I think it's important to start as we start talking about the Lord's Prayer and talking about this first petition, hallowed be thy name, to talk specifically about God's name. And so God's name itself is a very significant theme in scripture. And so before I dive into that, I do want to just make a comment about reading the Bible and reading scripture. So there are many different ways we read the Bible and many different things we do with the Bible. So sometimes we read the Bible for one verse or for a few verses together, right? We may read one verse and find particular inspiration in that, and I think that's good and that's worthwhile. Or Sunday morning, you know, we read a passage from different parts of the Bible, but just a few verses, we get a, just a snippet of the scripture. Uh, sometimes, like in Bible studies, we might read through an entire book of scripture and talk about you know, one particular book and its context and its setting and what the argument of this book is. Um, and I think that's good and worthwhile too. Uh, but the final way that we really read scripture is really the Bible as one complete whole book itself, right? And within that one book of scripture, there are themes and topics, motifs that are woven in through the various different books, the different genres in the Bible that show up over and over. So when you think of the Bible like that and you read the Bible like that, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if you like classical music, right, but if you go to a symphony, right, a composer will start with a basic musical theme or a musical idea, and it's developed throughout the whole symphony, right, throughout the whole piece of music. This theme is repeated in different ways and it's developed in different ways. Uh, well, the Bible is, does something similar to this with many different themes and many different topics that will start in Genesis with a particular theme and it's developed throughout the Old Testament and then in the New Testament 
it becomes, it blossoms into something even more apparent, more light-filled, more glorious in the person of Christ. Right? And we see this theme from beginning to end, and we see how it's developed in the person of Christ. And so when we talk about God's name, it's a similar idea. That God's name is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. Right? And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be thy name, right? we want to see it in the context of how God's name is used throughout the whole Bible. Right? Because it's significant. And the people and the disciples Jesus was speaking to when he was teaching them this prayer, they would have picked up on that significance. They would have known that the name of God was an important theme throughout the Bible, so throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so the first place that really it becomes the significant theme, and the theme that's going to carry on throughout the Bible, is in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and here at the story of Moses at the burning bush, right? That's all, all a story you know. But it's here in Exodus 3 that God reveals his name to Moses and to his people. So looking at Exodus 3 and this verses 13 through 15, of course, the story you know at the burning bush, and uh, God is sending Moses to Pharaoh, right, to say, let my people go so that they may worship me. But Moses here replies to God. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Right, so God here gives his name to Moses. Right, and first it's remarkable just to think that God here has a name, which we'll talk about in a second. But now here he's giving it to Moses to the first time. And of course, what does he tell Moses that his name is? Well, he says his name, God's name, is I am who I am. Right, and so the English here makes this much more complicated uh, than it needs to be. But in Hebrew... It's really this four letters that gets translated, I am who I am. And those four letters are something like YHWH. And maybe you've seen that in your Bibles before. Um, but this is a play on words in the Hebrew. And so God's name could be translated, I am. I am who I am. I am who I will be. Right? And so there's this sense in which God's name, I am, I am who I will be, right? That God himself is existence. God just is, right? That God had no beginning. God has no end. That God just is, 
Right? And so God's name here in Exodus, it signifies first kind of his transcendence that in one way we can't touch God, right? We can't quantify God. We can't put God in a box. He's not like other gods. He's not a mortal creature. There's something about God that, that transcends all of that. Yet he gives Moses a name to call him. And so in giving him this name, God is telling Moses, actually, I am near to you. You can't call out to me. Right? This is what I respond to. And so we see God that's beyond our knowing, but also God who shows himself to us as a God that we can know. Right? And so God's name here becomes holy, as we know. So you, you might know this, but in the Old Testament, in the scripture, so often God is called Lord or Lord God, right? And so most of your Bible translations, if you're reading the Old Testament, right, Lord will be all capital L-O-R-D, right? And so that's standing in place for God's name, right? These four letters that represent God's name because the Jewish people thought this name was so holy, they did not say it. Uh, they only said Lord because they wanted to keep God's name special and holy. And so their practice was simply to say Adonai, uh, to say Lord, rather than saying God's name. So even now, Orthodox Jewish folks and, and conservative Jews will not use God's name um, you know, it's simply Lord or Adonai. God's name represents this holiness that you cannot, you cannot name. Um, what's interesting here, though, the difference that we're supposed to see between God and everything else in being is that God names himself and God reveals his name to Moses. Okay, so if, if we think about this, think about the beginning of the book of Genesis, right? And you know the story of Adam, and God says it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And so in Genesis 2, the first thing he does for Adam is he makes all these animals, and he brings the animals to Adam, right? And he says, Adam name these animals, right? As I think verse 20 there says, the man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper or a partner, right? So there's a sense in which man does not have an equal because these are just things that he names, right? If you name something, you have a bit of control over it or you have responsibility for it, right? You get to name your children because, well, they're your children. You have responsibility for them. You are part of their coming into the world, so you, you name them, and they bear your name, but you name them, so you have some control and responsibility over them. So just like Adam here, he's given these animals, and he has authority over them, right? And he gets to give them their names. Well, who names God, right? Well, only God, in the scriptures, only God names God, 
right? There is no authority over God. No one controls God. No one has a grasp of God, right? That only God shares his name with us. And so he shares it with us as a kind of blessing, as a kind of gift, right? He says, when you want to call out to me, well, here's my name. That's who I am, right? We do not get to name him. So, you know, it's not as if we're creating a God named Zeus, right? Or Baal or Asherah or whatever. You know, those gods are gods that humans named, that humans fashioned in their own image. But this God, however, is the I am. The I am who I am, the I will be who I will be. We can't name him. And we only know him because he's given himself to us as a gift. Okay, so with that in mind then, this idea that the name of God is something holy, right? Because his name is itself a gift and a revelation, right? Which is why out of the Ten Commandments, right, we get the commandment not to take God's name in vain, not to take the Lord's name in vain, right? So growing up, many of us probably understood that mostly in terms of cursing, right? There's one curse word you better not say, um, and that, that's violating the second commandment, which is true, and that's right. You know, we don't use the Lord's name frivolously here, but the commandment itself is bigger than that, right? It's saying, guard God's name. In other words, guard who God is for you, right? Keep that separate and keep that holy, because God has given himself as a gift to you. He's shown himself to you, as one to call out upon, one to trust in, as the one who is your father and who loves you, right? And so it's not simply just about the name, but it's about who God is in our lives, which is what the commandment's really about, right? So for Luther, he'll say, you know, we take God's name in vain when we live in the world as if God isn't real, Right, if we're out in the world and we say that we're Christians and we say that we believe in God, but we don't show it, we don't act like it, we put our trust and our faith somewhere else, well, we're violating that commandment because we're not understanding just how special and how holy God is for us. Right, and so God's name becomes this important theme in the Old Testament because it shows us that God wants us to know him. He wants to be revealed to us. Okay, uh, this gets further developed, and God's name is never, ever in the scripture a trivial issue. God's name is always to be set apart. So as, as this theme develops in the Old Testament, there's this great scene in the book of Chronicles, which I won't read it all to you, Right, but you'll remember that King David wants to build a temple for the Lord. And God says to David, no, you're a man of war. I'm going to have your son Solomon, a man of peace, build this temple for me. And so in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, God's giving directions to Solomon about how to build this temple, 
what this temple is to be, what it's to look like, all the specific details that go into this temple. But one of the things God says to Solomon in that chapter is you're going to build a house for my name. Right? I think that's a remarkable phrase, a house for my name. Right? And so it should show us that God's name, it's not, you know, simply a title. It's not simply, you know, something irreverent. We can just call God as if we can name God ourselves. Right? Rather, God's name comes to represent his glory, his person, who he is. And in fact, God tells Solomon, build a house for my name. Right? Build a house that will show the world God's character. You know, this was meant to show the nations and the Gentiles just who God is. You know, that this is going to be a beautiful place of worship, a beautiful place of sacrifice. It's going to show just how beautiful God is, how majestic God is, how lovely God is. A house for my name. A house to be revealed to the people so they know who God is. Right, so with that Old Testament kind of context, of the reverence of God's name and the understanding of who God is through his name. We see this then developed through Christ. And so what we read this evening in John chapter 17, right? Christ says, I have made your name known to the world. I have shown who you are to the world. And of course, what's remarkable here is in John 17, Christ specifically talks about the unity he has with the Father. Right, so who the Father is, Christ has shown by being who he is. In other words, Christ is the embodiment of God's name. Right, Christ himself, like the temple, becomes a house for the name of God. Christ is showing who God is to the world. And so in the New Testament, through Christ, God names himself very specifically for us. And he names himself in the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? God has now revealed himself to us in three persons, very specifically, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's how we come to name God now. Right? As, as the three persons who are one. And so thinking about what that might mean for us, you know, we think about, when we think about God naming himself and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, I think naturally, and especially as Lutherans, we should think about baptism, right? Christ sends his disciples out into the world and says, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why is that significant? Because when we're baptized, then we ourselves are being renamed Right, we ourselves are giving a new identity. And we're, giving, we're given by Christ in baptism the name of God. Right, we're named in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, God has put his name essentially on our, on our forehead. Right, he's claimed us and he said, I'm sharing my name with you. I'm sharing my glory with you. I'm sharing who I am with you. So now we're forever linked to God, right? Who God is now is also who we are. And what does that mean? 
Well, just as God is the I am who never ends, God is saying, in me, you do not have an end. Right? In me is your being. Right? You, you will always be in my presence. You will always have your being in me. And so we are ones who are now marked with the name of God. Right? So now, back to the Lord's Prayer, as, as we think about how that developed in the Bible, we pray then, you know, hallowed be thy name, holy be your name. In other words, holy, of course, is a way to say set apart, right? It's set apart as something special is what holy means. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, right? Well, what we're really praying is hallowed be your name in us. Right? We're marked with God's name, so now let that name shine through us. Let it be holy in us. Right? And we think about John 17, which we've just read here. You know, what does that look like? What does it look like to make God's name holy in us? Well, it's to show who God is in the world through us. You know, it's this idea of Christ will go on to say, you know, love one another as I have loved you, right? That's what it means to make God's name holy in this world. Because when we love one another, when we commit to one another, when we put God first and become one community and one people, we're showing the world just who God is, right? And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, you know, that's what we're praying for. We're praying that the world will see us and will see us as one marked by God's name. And they'll glorify God because of us. Right? So that's what that petition is really getting at. Right? Make us witnesses to your name. Make us houses for your name. Make us one with Christ so that the world will know your name and give glory to you. And I promised I would stop for questions or discussion, and I didn't, and I apologize, so I'll do better next week.